KIRP Radio. When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioShow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. Rocco P. Thank you for tuning in to the KRP Radio Show. That's Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller. The RP, K, the RP and KRP is Keeping It Real, Real with Pudgy, not Rocco P. But that does happen to be my name. This is the last Sunday of the month, and Brother Pudgy has graciously let me host this show. Has let me use this platform last Sunday each month. And I do deeply appreciate that. My uh, my blog site is paradishift.net, P-A-R-A-D-S-H-I-F-T.net. Find some inter- interesting articles there. A uh, little bit, some, a uh, few articles I've written. Not much. Most is just other pieces, videos, and articles I've reposted. But uh, if you visit that site, I'm sure you will find some things that are interesting. Tonight, I'd like to talk, take kind of a different angle on the election. Now, last month, I talked about the uh, the Trump phenomena. It was pretty much uh, largely a political show for the most part, and by that I meant just really didn't deal with uh, any really any spiritual aspect to it, as far as uh, you know the basis, how you know what what biblical values, how how would Christians you know, vote or evaluate a candidate. And this show is going to be a little bit different. I want to talk about. Uh, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and evangelicals. Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and evangelicals, to a large degree, uh, people that are just obsessed with political power see evangelicals as a voting block. And I could, we could obviously do a whole show just on uh, what evangelicals are, what evangelicals aren't. And that phrase evangelical uh, comes from evangel. Evangel is good news, the gospel. So that, uh, that that word was coined to talk about people that believe the gospel, Christians, or uh, born-again Christians, so to speak. So a legitimate Christian would have had a time in his life when he did trust Christ. He realized he was a sinner, and uh, he asked Christ to come to his life. He asked Christ to save him from the penalty of his sins. Uh, Paul quotes Isaiah in the book of Romans, "...for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." People obsessed with political power tend to just look at evangelicals as a voting block because that's that's just their goal. That's just that's their primary focus. That's all that, that they really care about. And that's not to say there aren't evangelicals that are not legitimate pollsters and uh, evangelicals that are legitimate uh, political uh, consultants. Uh, there are actually evangelical political songs, just like their evangelical lawyers. It appears to be a contradiction in terms, but those people are out there. My point is, I do want to talk about the election, but I want to keep this in terms of principles to say, how is it, uh, how should believers vote in, in, in a very broad sense, and then and then jump into this election? Some people uh, tend to believe that Christians have to vote for other people that are just Christians or, or born again, and that that disbelief strikes a course different types. It, it goes deep. It's really different theological uh, persuasions, different uh, churches and Christians that believe interpret the scriptures different ways uh, 
take that position. Not all. I mean, some, some do. Some do. Uh, it, it, it's, it's. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a prominent belief, but uh, it certainly, it, you could say it's prominent. I mean, it is. It's very, very popular. It's very broad. That idea that we have to get quote one of them end quote one of us quote uh, into the White House, and to back up and look at the whole political process. I've said this before. The real political power is with government that is closer to us. Now, of course, yeah, if, if you've heard me before, uh, you know my position. I take original intent to the Constitution. I interpret it at face value. Therefore, the federal government is probably well over 90% bigger than it should be. If it was confined to what the Constitution says, then you know, we would have a much, much smaller government. And uh, lest I forget, the call in number six one nine six three eight eight five five nine six one nine six three eight six six one nine six three eight eight five five nine. I'm sorry, six one nine six three eight eight five five nine. If you if you are listening, you do want to call in, please uh, please feel free to do so. I'll be watching that. I'll be watching the switchboard. But. Uh, this idea again, okay, you, know, you just you have to, some Christians believe you have to get one of us in. You back up and look at the whole political process. They want us, the pe- people in general, not just Christians, they want us focused on the presidential election. And uh, we even call elections in between presidential elections midterm. So the powers that be, uh, however you want to say it, the power elite, uh, I would say the New World Order, they want us focused on the president, the presidency, and Congress for very good reason. It's extremely difficult uh, to get people of character. No, I didn't say Christians. Said people of character, people that were on their oath to the federal constitution. It's extremely difficult to get them elected to federal office because of the amount of money it takes to run for those offices. So, concentrated power uh, when when power is consolidated that that's always the enemy that always works against individual liberty uh, that's the way it has been for uh you know for a very very long time and there is a reason again they want us to focus on on those races on the federal government where the chance the the, uh, the chance for change is uh is not that high the government that affects us the most even though the federal government has tremendous powers they shouldn't have, is the government that's close to us. For example, uh, wherever you live in, in the United States of America, if you had a sheriff that honored his oath, uh, your county would be better. If you had county commissioners that, that recognized the proper role of government and the limitations upon you know, what state government should or shouldn't do, and also understood that, that uh, county commissioners would want to not accept federal funds and not be coerced by the federal government, not be influenced by the federal government in terms of our property rights. Okay, I've talked in the past about Agenda 21, the United Nations Agenda for the 21st Century. If you hear the phrase smart growth or sustainable growth, that's what it's all about. It's, it's just a detailed, detailed plans to take away our property rights. And that's unfolding. That's being done at the federal, state, and local level. Case in point, if you're anywhere listening in the states, and you own property, and you want to expand. Let's say you want you want to build an addition to your home. You you want to build uh, a 
a structure on your home on the property that you own. Might not even be a house, but let's just say it would be it would be a heated uh yeah, some type of heated building, a heated garage. You understand the regulatory nightmare. And that that's not by uh that's not by accident. That that's that's intentional. Okay. The way they work is incrementally take away our property rights, just make it more and more difficult, more and more expensive. And you have to admit, and I'm not being dramatic here, is that we really don't have much property rights left. Okay, If you own a home or homes, if you own a business or businesses, what happens if you miss just one tax payment? Okay, The government sees it, sees it regardless of, you know, again, you, you could own it outright as far as the bank. But we're in. I mean, we're basically all serfs. Of course, it's better to be a wealthier serf than a than a serf that that has nothing. But basically, the government's let us know. I mean, we've accepted this over the last 100 years, and that's really been accomplished at the state level, where we have perpetual ad valorem property taxes. But I, but I digress. But I digress. Getting back to this idea of the evangelical voter, uh, I remember uh, when. Uh, in the church I was baptized in, okay, and uh, the pastor there had attended a meeting with Ronald Reagan. It wasn't a private meeting. <laughs> there was a lot of pastors there. But through that meeting, uh, he was convinced at the time that Ronald Reagan was was a Christian, was a believer. And there was, there was you know, wide support uh, for Reagan based upon that. Now you could go back. You could pull up. I'm sure it's on YouTube. You could pull. I didn't do it. For, I didn't do it for the purpose of the show tonight. We'll get to some videos soon. Uh, current videos. But you could pull the debate between Reagan, Ronald Reagan, and Walter Mondale, 1985. I do remember it. And because of uh, the book Born Again by Chuck Colson, to a large degree, not exclusively, but that phrase became a catchphrase. And the uh, the moderator asked Reagan and Mondale once if not twice if either of them were born again and Reagan said he never really heard the phrase he'd have to check with his pastor and then Mondale didn't answer and just talked about the fact how he and his wife had sung in uh no one had really sung in more church uh, weddings or funerals than he and his wife something to that effect uh <laughs> so uh, do I believe Ronald Reagan was born again no no his wife was an astrologist you look at the people he surrounded himself with no not at all, but this, this is one point. If you only kept, if you only remember one thing for tonight, you should remember this: uh, the idea that Christians should only vote for Christians. I don't think that's right. I really don't think that's right. A lot of well-meaning Christians come to that conclusion. Part of it is a popular appeal because they want to, uh, and this is part of the progressivism, this is part of the cultural Marxism I've talked about, is they look at pe- they look at people as groups. <clears throat> they want to divide us. <clears throat> Naturally, they want to divide us. So everything is segmented. Everything is broken up. Case in point, one of the most dramatic examples of that now is that Hillary, Hillary Clinton is going to run larger than the fact that she's biologically, as far as we know, a woman. Um, so then the logic, if it is logic, and again, I think I think it's perverse reasoning, is that if you care about women's rights, then you should vote for Hillary Clinton. Because Hillary Clinton is a woman, she will represent women, unlike any other previous president. And, you know, that, that, that's a colossal lie. 
that's a colossal lie. All you need to know is about the the number of women that Bill Clinton sexually molested and raped. I mean, he's he uh, Paula Jones settled out of court. Right, Bill Clinton literally raped women, and Hillary Clinton knew about that and basically protected Bill. So, yeah, this is part of really the mind control of of cultural Marxism where they divide us. Again, back to the evangelical thing, some some well-meaning Christians will uh, will believe that it's only right and biblical that Christians should only support Christians. Okay, they would. Uh, a friend of mine shared this text. Uh, he shared a text in Exodus. So I read a few verses from Exodus. Showing that this is, I am not constrained in where I say that I am free to quote the Bible. If uh, you are in Exodus chapter 18, you go to verse 19, and this was uh, this is the narrative familiar with the text, where Moses was uh, very busy uh, judging Israel, and then his father-in-law Jethro, who evidently was not a believer, gave him advice. This is also interesting. Where I'm quoting this is advice from a non-believer to Moses. This is what he said. Listen now, verse 19, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the works they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over to be rules of thousands, rules of hundreds, rules of fifties, and rules of tens. So the key phrase there, who who was most supposed to select based upon the advice of his uh of his father in law Jethro, or Raoul, the two names. Uh, men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them over to be rules of thousands. Rules of hundreds and rules of fifties and rules of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rules of thousands, rules of hundreds, rules of fifties, and rules of tens. So they judged the people at all times. They heard the hard case they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Okay. Again, uh, what was the criteria? Men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Now, part of the problem if we say today, okay, well, there it is. Uh, it's in Exodus. That means that means as Christians, uh, we have to elect people who fear God. And there'd be two aspects to that. Number one, um, you could fear. Some would debate also the way the phrase uh, God fears, fearing God, is used in the New Testament. There was people who weren't who aren't necessarily born again, or to use a theological word, regenerate. They have not trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit's not in them, but they do have respect. They do have respect at some level for God. And again, I think uh, logic would dictate not everyone who's lost uh, is manifesting the same level of depravity. That they're not all the same level. But let's let's say let, let's say God fearers were people that it was people who were believed who were believers. Israel was a nation state. Okay, you you had uh, in Israel they had civil, moral, and ceremonial laws. The traditional interpretation, yeah, you know, going going from. Uh, certainly, the Protestant Reformation on is that 
there's that division of law, moral, civil, and ceremonial. The church is not entrusted with civil law. They're not entrusted with that. So to then say only Christians should rule really degenerates to de facto theocracy. It really does. The people that found that America were not all Christians. It was only a minority. Now, they were deeply influenced by the Bible. There's no doubt. You look at, you look at how the fact that the founders were influenced by John Locke. Okay, John Locke was a believer. Uh, but there were a handful of people like Patrick Henry, and nowhere in their writings did any of the Christians advocate that the government that they were involved in, that they advocated, should only be led by Christians. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, for example, brilliant mind, but yeah, you know, he was spiritually dead. To the best of my knowledge, he never repented. Again, certain things, there was a lot of what the founding fathers embraced, and that was they were influenced by scripture. But it would be it would be completely, completely false to say they were just Christians. So this idea, again, though it's well meaning that Christians should only vote for Christians, I do, do I just don't see any, any base in the Bible for that. Uh, I, I see none. I really see none. So having said that, now we jump into this race. Uh now, today, we we have different people. We have Marco Rubio running. Okay. Marco Rubio is the he he's the establishment's choice. Um, roughly, I think, $120, $130 million plus was poured into Jeb Bush's uh, campaign, and Jeb Bush came up short. The money and the power in of the establishment started to move to Rubio before Jeb Bush threw in the towel. Okay, I forget, in uh, New Hampshire alone, I don't know if it was $40 million was spent for not to, uh, to, to get a uh, to get Jeb Bush to get him votes. So, and a lot of this has to do with Trump really sucking the oxygen oxygen out of the room, so to speak, because he is a populist and uh, he is talking about the border. I had mentioned that last month. But in any case, you go down to Rubio. Rubio, Rubio makes no bones about it. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's fully committed to the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I would say that that in that in and of itself, that does not disqualify him. In other words, if he was, if if he was committed to the original intent of the Constitution, if he showed through his through his voting and his character, I mean that that you know this is he was committed to those principles, to the rule of law. You know, again, we're talking about a literal document, okay, federal Constitution, how we could judge people by. That's what they take an oath to, and that's that's the way they should be evaluated. If that was the case. I would have no issue with Marco Rubio. You look at someone, if you're familiar with North Carolina politics, you look at, he's really a national figure, Walter Jones. Walter Jones converted to Roman Catholicism. I don't know why, but he did. He was influenced by Ron Paul. And, uh, you know, Walter Jones has a very solid voting record. Uh, yeah, I, I would vote for Walter Jones if I lived in this district uh, without, any, without any issue. So... I'm not criticizing Marco Rubio as a candidate merely or, or exclusively or at all because he's a Catholic. That that's really that that's not the issue. The issue is what is his fidelity? You know, where does he stand on the political issues in light of the rule law, in, in light of the Constitution? Marco Rubio supports amnesty. It was funny. Um, the establishment again. The big guns have been rolling out for Rubio for quite some time. Nikki Haley in South Carolina, endorsed Marco Rubio. 
about a month, roughly a month prior to endorsing him, it was it was it was it was funny. You could look up this article. You could just do a startpage dot com or duck duckgo.com search. I don't use the other guys, but you could do a search for Nikki Haley Rubio Amnesty, and she says, "Yeah, I, I like Marco, or I agree with Marco, Marco, but he does support Amnesty." You know, saying she didn't. So it, it's it's amazing the spin and the outright deception that Rubio and particularly supporters in the media want to say that yeah, this is a guy who's part of the Gang of Eight ever since 9/11. And then, you know, I've said this before in the air that the war on terror is a hoax. The war on terror is a colossal hoax. Well, you know, why would I make that assertion? Because since 9-11-01, uh, they've told us that there's unending war on terror. It resulted in wars, including Iraq. And it was, as you know, Donald Trump had said, in South Carolina, to his credit. And, you know, Trump's all over the map. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, Trump's all over the map. But on, on American interventionism, that does seem over the years something he's been consistent about. He's been consistently against. Those weapons of mass destruction never found. So we had the U.S. launching wars, yet from 9-11-01 to this day, uh, the border with Mexico has never been secured. So we have these politicians talking about amnesty. They've been selling us this. It was the same thing under George W. Bush. They talked. They used the phrase comprehensive immigration reform because it's more palatable, it's easier to deceive people. And they've tried to lie repeatedly to the American people to say, we can't secure the borders until we change the laws. And that, that, that's, complete, that's, that's a complete lie. Think about it. If they're not going to follow and be submit and submit to existing laws, why would changing laws make anything different? Now they want amnesty. And they're getting amnesty slowly. They're getting amnesty slowly. That, again, is part of Trump's uh, populist appeal because he wants to secure the border. People realize right now the way they interpret federal law, someone like Marco Rubio was an anchor baby. Now, he's not even uh, he's not even eligible to run for president if, if they interpret the Constitution literally. And I don't believe Ted Cruz is either because Cruz's father was an American citizen when Cruz was born in Canada. And it's yet to be proven that his mother was an American citizen when he was, when he was born in Canada. So I don't think Cruz is eligible anyhow. But the case in point is that Rubio alone on amnesty should be rejected. That alone on amnesty is that he should be rejected. But this idea, this idea though, that he is a good candidate, this is being foisted upon the American public by the establishment. And sad to say, a lot of evangelicals have uh, have gotten on board with this. There's there's a great uh, there's a great great website out there, pulpitandpen.org. Pulpandpen.org. Uh, J.D. Hall, preacher in Montana, he runs that. Does a podcast. Who does a fine job. He does. He's dealing mostly with polemics. In other words, he's defending the faith within the church. He, he's he's going after error among professing believers. And uh, he's a Reformed Baptist. You know what that is. He's also in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he's pointed out on his site how many prominent evangelicals have supported Rubio. Okay, there's a guy named Russell uh, Russell Moore. Okay, he, he's over the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the ERLC. And J.D. Hall says he's basically using the ERLC as a pack for Rubio. Now, again, the issue isn't Rubio being Catholic. The issue is Rubio, among other things, believes in amnesty. Now, he he's a complete nightmare. You look at how how 
how many votes he's missed. Uh, you know, Rand Paul, to his credit, had brought that up during uh, during the debates. I don't know if, if he said or someone else said uh, Rubio should really give back a good part of his, uh, you know, the salary he gets as a senator because he was absent so long. But it is amazing how many that you have these prominent Southern Baptists and some other evangelicals that are on the board with Rubio. Uh, you have Albert Mueller, who's a uh, Southern Baptist leader at Southern Seminary. And he's, he's part of this group. He's part of this committee to, to help Rubio. You know, I was, that, was, uh, you know, that was amazing. To quote a piece that was on Pulp and Pen, this wasn't written by J.D. Hall, but it's, but it's on the website. Uh, it says, quote, since the beginning of the 2016 presidential election cycle, Marco Rubio has been the candidate choice for the evangelical intelligentsia. And they use that phrase for the, evan- the self-described evangelicals that uh, believe they're important enough to dictate reality for everyone else in professing church. That's basically what it is. I'm standing straight like, I'm going to tell y'all a little something about my homie, right? This sick sunny, man. I don't know how y'all gonna say that, man. I mean, did she say that? That's what you're probably gonna say. It's gonna be like, yo, did she say that? A trip through Liberalville. Come with me on a trip through Liberalville. Call it what you may. The ghetto, the hood, the block, the trap is nothing more than the outcome of liberal policy. If the Negro in the ghetto must eternally be fed by the hand that pushes him into the ghetto, he'll never have the strength to get out of the ghetto. That's Carter Woodson, and it's the premise for this article. Now, when most people think about Liberalville, called by one of the aforementioned nicknames, they think drugs, crime, trash, and desperation, low-grade public housing, limited job opportunities, and no chance at a quality education. They just forget to look at the equation. People plus liberal politics equals total degeneration. You need a better tour guide. What's really there, the liberals had. People of all faiths, colors, and creed, all with a basic need to belong. See, it's the same song from 8-Tracks, the Wax CD, the iPod. Living in Liberalville is hard, or is it? Let me tell you what I see when you remove the democratic elite. I see the poets. Feelings into verbs, action into words, a revolution has occurred in modern-day storytelling. His wit is hard to defeat. His desire makes it hard to compete. But his skill stays on mixtapes and side streets because we find value in the industry. I see a vision in his head bigger than any paper or pad graffiti form. K-I-R-P Radio! A trip through Liberalville. Come with me on a trip through Liberalville. Call it what you may. The ghetto, the hood, the block, the trap is nothing more than the outcome of liberal policy. If the Negro in the ghetto must eternally be fed by the hand that pushes him into the ghetto, he'll never have the strength to get out of the ghetto. That's Carter Woodson, and it's the premise for this article. Now, when most people think about Liberalville, called by one of the aforementioned nicknames, they think drugs, crime, trash, and desperation, low-grade public housing, limited job opportunities, and no chance at a quality education. They just forget to look at the equation. People plus liberal politics equals total degeneration. You need a better tour guide. 
What's really there, the liberals hide. People of all faiths, colors, and creed, all with a basic need to belong. See, it's the same song from A-Tracks, the Wax CD. When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioShow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. K-I-R-P Radio! K-I-R-P Radio! How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR. 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government, 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians hold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P Radio! K-I-R-P Radio! 